0: For our second message today, we have a sermon uh, from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled Enemy of Faith. Mr. Grayson. I shall repeat myself. Hello, everyone. What is the enemy of faith? You know there are several. Lots of enemies that we confront. Sometimes on a daily basis. Sometimes on a yearly basis. Or whatever it might be. But we're just going to look at one today. And the next thing is. What is our faith in? What do we have faith in? And. What are the target? As a target. What, things, what tools are thrown our way to dislodge that faith from us and finally how do we fight against the enemy of faith Jesus often spoke to the multitudes in parables in the book of Mark or Matthew that is chapter 13 it says in verse 3 that he spoke many things spoke a whole lot of things and he did those in parables Now, we know that a parable is a story that is drawn from nature or from human uh, experiences or circumstances to portray some sort of a truth or a principle or something that has a lesson in it. But the aim is to convey a spiritual lesson and that of truth. So this word parable uh, means a placing beside. It's like putting something side by side. In one way an earthly comparison with a spiritual thing. And so that's what Christ used in explaining a parable or using the parable. And sometimes the listener and most of the times the listener he heard it. He listened to it but did not fully uh, understand it or catch what was being said. So we see how Jesus spoke parables. In Matthew chapter 13, here in verse 3, He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth. You know, that's a farmer or a planter or a gardener. He went out to sow his seed, to put it in the garden, to make some plants grow. Because he had hope, you know, just in that little seed that it's going to produce what he put it in the ground for. Now in verse 4, when he sowed some seeds, fell to the wayside. And then the fowls came and they ate it up. They devoured it. And the wayside is that part of the ground that's, that's said to be firm. You know, it's where you walk. You know, when you plant seeds, you're not supposed to uh, walk and flatten it out. Otherwise, you're going to pack the soil and, and the seeds are just going to stay on top. And the birds that see it are going to come and get it. So it needs to be tilled, that, the, that the wayward side, the foot traffic it needs to be soft in verse 5 some fell upon stony places and you know there's a lot of uh, comparisons that you can make with like you know the stony places uh, where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth and they grew but they didn't last and when the sun was up they were scorched and because they had no root they withered away Their roots just didn't run deep to get uh, the water to acquire the moisture that it takes for that uh, plant to strengthen to grow green and to produce fruit so you can make comparisons with this you know uh, about the spirit side of what Jesus was getting out getting at and then he said in verse 7 Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and and, uh, choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. You know, listen, use use the ears, and try to understand it. He that has ears, let him hear, and he left it at that. Now in verse ten we see that the disciples they came and said unto him, Well, why do you speak to them in parables? And so in uh, verse eleven Jesus explained and he said he explained what he meant, he said, He answered, said unto them the disciples, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So the multitudes that he spoke the parables to, they were people of all sorts in there. They were the religious leaders, people from uh, different places. And they had different ideas, different ideologies. And they were coming from the Old Testament uh, side of things, expecting the Messiah to come uh, at that time. But Christ was speaking of a time yet to come. And sometimes when you look at these parables, you may wonder, well, why... Why is he speaking to them in parables? Is he just holding back? Why didn't he just explain the story? And he said to his disciples in verse 12. Because for whosoever has to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not from him. Shall be taken away even what he has. So sometimes when a man hears a message of the kingdom. When he hears the words of God. When he hears about the things that he must do. In order to reach the kingdom. He doesn't really hold on to it. Because it hasn't. uh, uh, Because it's snatched away. The truth is snatched away from him. The moment he hears it. Or uh, the moment he considers it. And also the moment. That trouble. Or persecution arises. And faith not being rooted deep enough. He or she will give it up. It just goes away. Verse 13 therefore speak I to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not neither do they understand and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which says by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and and I should heal them. So what makes a person's heart wax gross? What makes it heavy? Because there are other interests they might have. They might have more important purposes. More important plans and uh, distractions that make it hard to accept sometimes a simple truth that we find in the word of God. And they were dull of hearing. And that sometimes we... uh, That's the way it is, you know. uh, People are there. They can listen to it. But they... ...put off those words. They're just not ready to receive it. So whatever truth that that is gained... ...it it doesn't sink in. Not allowed to sink in for some reason or other... ...because of various deceptions... ...and various uh, doubts. And so they naturally don't understand. Or they would be converted. Or they would change their hearts. They would change their minds. And they would grow... And they would be healed. Of their sins. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. For they see. And your ears. For they hear. So those words are to. All of us. That we are blessed. With an understanding. Because we're able to see. Because we're able to understand. So the mind and heart was open. And they were ready to receive the word of God. So that's like many of us. Who now believe a lot of things. You don't know everything. There is to know of course. And we understand a lot of things. That Jesus has said in the word. Verse 17. Verily I say unto you. That many prophets and righteous men. They've desired to see those things which you see. So there are some things that we're seeing nowadays in the New Testament times. When Christ uh, uh, brought the doctrine. That they did not understand. But they did not see. Or even hear those things which we hear today. So verse 18. That's why he's saying hear you the parable of the sower. The seed's going to be planted. But some or some it's not going to grow. Now verse 19 when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands and they don't understand it uh, at all or not. Then comes the wicked one and he catches away that which was sown in his heart. And this is he which receives seed by the, the wayside. So Jesus is explaining these parables to the disciples. And this is uh, he which receives seed by the wayside you know uh, people are you know getting all set for you know, the Super Bowl tomorrow they're going out and buying up the drinks and chips and they're inviting people over and things and it's going to be uh, maybe two or three hours of a football and uh when you watch the game, you know that there are various things that go on. There are penalties, there are penalty flags that are thrown. There are good plays and there's bad plays, and some produce the points that they need. Uh, it's kind of like uh, you might see an intercepted pass. In, in our way of thinking, if we want to uh, see a pass or something that is thrown to us, and all we got to do is catch it, and we do. Sometimes we do or sometimes it's knocked out of our hands or sometimes we make a good catch and then there's a penalty that uh, draws it all back so there's a lot of things that offset our journey they offset our plan and uh, watching the football game I've, uh, I've seen a bunch of them and it's back and forth back and forth and there's a time limit and there are rules that one has to follow And verse 20, let me go on here before I get too far away on trying to make that into a parable itself. But verse 20, but he that receives the seed into stony places, the same as he that hears the words, and anon with joy receives it. How did we receive the word when we first heard it? Did we say, oh wow, this is something I've not ever heard before, I like this. We receive it with joy. We used to think, well, maybe the kingdom, the heaven, uh, we're going to go to heaven up in the sky. But now we know that the kingdom is coming to earth. And the scriptures prove it. And so with joy, we receive it. However, verse 21, yet has he not rooted himself. But he endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word... By and by, he is offended. So, the moment trouble or persecution arises through the message that he receives, he gives up his faith. And <clears throat> maybe the person shares what he has learned, but someone contends with him oh, that's not true. That's not uh, what Christ said. By grace are you saved. You don't need works, things of that sort. Verse 22. He also that received a seed among the thorns is he that hears the words and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So the worries of this life or the dreams, you know, maybe someone has of wealth, of things of that sort. Choke the word. Doesn't squeeze it to death, but it just sort of narrows. The mind. It narrows the thinking toward uh, the gospel that is being preached and the Word of God that we read out of the pages of the Bible. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the Word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. That's because the seed was so, uh, sown in good soil. And that's the man who hears and understands the message and he produces fruit. So here's the person whose mind and heart is open, wanting to do good, wanting to hear the word of God, just like the disciples that were with Christ, whom he was able to teach. Now there's another parable, verse 24. He put forth unto them, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good Seed in his field. But while men slept. They were off guard. They weren't alert. They were sleeping. The enemy came. And sowed tares among the wheat. And went his way. So the enemy came. While they slept. While he was off guard. Not paying attention. And when the blade was sprung up. And brought forth fruit. Then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household, they came and said to him, sir, didn't you uh, sow good seed in, the, in your field? Uh, from where did all these tares come from? And he said unto them, an enemy has done this. And so the servant said unto him, well, uh, what then that we should do, uh, should we go and uh, uh gather them up, pull them up, probably pull up everything. Well, householder said, nay, lest you gather up the tares. While you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And that's the way we see it in our world today. There are tares and there are uh, the plants that has been planted with good seed and they're growing together and it's going to be that way until the end uh, of the age but gather you until the harvest and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers you know, the angels that are going to come gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them so there's judgment coming but gather the wheat into my barn so as we look at these parables there's many but these parables we glean that often they concern the kingdom of God that is coming and they tell about a sower who came to plant the seeds of the gospel of the kingdom and they tell also about the resistance and acceptance of that message and they tell of an enemy that is out to uproot The growth of faith. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. About the plan of God. You know that and also teaching them. uh, Instruction giving them uh, wisdom. Giving them knowledge. Because when he's gone they will be doing the teaching. They will be, uh, be passing on. Parables like these. About the kingdom of God. But probably in a more direct way. But the enemy of faith that we see is doubt. When the Son of Man comes is, is, is a, a question. Luke eighteen eight. When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? So the enemy of faith is doubt, it's unbelief, and it's, uh, and it's uh, questions and uncertainty. And doubt is a tool of Satan. He inspires it. He causes it. Because he is the unseen prince. Of the power of the air. So It's like he just. Is all around. In various ways. And one thing he does. Is he makes society believe. That Satan is not real. That he's not the cause of it. That he has no influence. In in what happens. In society. Revelation 12. 12 tells us that. The devil. Has come down unto you. Having great wrath. Because he knows. That he has. But a short time. He's in a hurry to do his. His work because he knows. What the end is going to be. But he wants to take as many people. As many faithful especially. Take them down with him. In. Revelation 12:9, We see where the dragon. Was cast out. Called the old serpent. Called the devil. And Satan. All those names that apply to him. Which deceives the whole world. So we know that he's also a deceiver. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. So he uses other tools also. Like lying. Like deception. But we don't need to fear him. But we do need to be aware of his devices. And have confidence. Toward God. With our lives. In line with his will. And his plan. First John chapter 3. It says beloved if our heart condemn us not. Then have we confidence toward God. To know that we are doing the best we can. To live up to the standards of being a Christian. Through prayer through study. Following after faith. Hope and love. We are confident of being near to God in that way. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And whatsoever. Verse 22. And whatsoever we ask. We receive of him. Because we keep his commandments. And do those things. That are pleasing. In his sight. You know if you have your Bible. This would be a good thing. To underline at times. To highlight it in some way. You know, like in the old days. Which for me is. In the old days I guess. But. Highlighting the Bible. Using the color codes. And doing things of that sort. But this is his commandment. That we should believe. On the name of. His son Jesus Christ. And love one another. As he gave us commandments. All of those commandments we know tell us. How to love God. And also how to love neighbor. First John 4. Says that you are of God. You're of God. But verse 1 believe, uh, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets ha- are gone out into the world. Verse 2 Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So the Spirit you know, itself tells us. It gives us that confident assurance that we know that Jesus is the Son of God, sent by God for our salvation. Verse 3 And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you've heard that it should come, and even now already. Is it in the world. So that spirit is one that's. The enemy of faith. Because he will bring up doubts. And there are false prophets. And there are teachers. Teachings from all over the world. From various ideologies and things. That. Cause doubt. In God. And the religion of Christ. Or the kingdom of God verse 4 but you you are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world overcome them you know these these false teachings these false prophets that would be the ongoing power of faith that one has not doubt but the ongoing power of faith for the love of Christ For his saving power. And trust in his words. As we learn from the word. And he's the one that helps us through trials. And all these experiences that we might have. In life. Verse 5. They are of the world. Therefore speak. They of the world. And the world hears them. They preferred listening. To the world. To the things of the world. And. Satan is doing what he can in that vein so that the seed of the gospel that is planted in us, the things we know are somehow dislodged from our thinking. And another way, another tool that he uses is that he brings trials. He brings trials on us. Concerning trials, we're told these things about trials. No trial is ever joyous and there are many in the church who have experienced very sore trial from losses of loved ones from other uh, uh, afflictions that have brought sorrow and pain into their hearts. no trial is ever joyous we also know that the eternal that the eternal God is not going to tempt us above what we are able to endure all of those, those two things so far Tells us that. We need to have faith in those words. And that. Whatever doubt there is. It just is no longer habit. But to uh, throw it out. And we also know that with trials. With the temptation. God will provide. A way of escape. Give you a way out. And also we know. That all things work together. Unto them that love God so we see these things concerning trial and they are meant to keep us from having doubt they are meant for us to put our faith and our trust in these words no matter what our trial might be in some of us we know that there are trials that are still ongoing it seems like they'll never end So there are some here. Who can tell us of their experiences. That they weren't. The trials weren't easy. They weren't joyous. But they have come to this time. Of course they knew this. First uh, Peter one. Tells us about trial. That the trial of your faith. Being much more precious. Than of gold that perishes. Though it be. Tried with fire. Might be found unto praise. And honor and glory. At the appearing of Jesus Christ. So that, tri- that trial. More precious. Might be found unto praise. And honor and glory. So all the things that we might be going through at this time. Is going to be found unto praise and honor and glory. At the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 whom having not seen you love in whom though now you see him not yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Kind of like that flight plan where you know your destination. And you know the way to get there and you depend upon a lot of things that are around you to get you safely there knowing that in the end there's going to be joy unspeakable, unspeakable at some point it's kind of like that light at the end of the tunnel it's like when the finish line is crossed you know that one can rejoice and, and say they made it not only in this life you know there's some trials that we experience that do come, come to a point where it is a taken care of but more so is life, in the life that is to come so one of the questions sometimes that might throw doubt at us in this life is well, why does God allow trials and here's what he said to the children of Israel should they encounter some prophet daring to speak against God and he's in verse 2 in, uh, I don't have reference to that scripture but he said that the sign or the, uh, about a prophet speaking something that's supposed to come to pass. And he says, and the sign or the wonder does come to pass. Whereof he spoke unto thee, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known. And let us serve them. Don't hearken unto the words of that, of that prophet. Because he's obviously saying there is uh, other gods which they have not known and he's saying let's serve them or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God reason for trial for the Lord your God he allows them for the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul so these trials are tasks or some may see them as examinations about what we know and believe in but you know God already knows us inside and out. He knows what we have need of even before we ask him. And he knows he won't test us above what we are able. And they can be scary. They can make us afraid. He knows us. He knows what we are able to endure. But the aim, of course, is for us when we have a trial is, you know, to pass them. To get through them. And no person. Or a Christian. Is immune to the trials. That might cause us. Doubts. So every young person. Young or old. Child or adult. Is going to have them. And when we have them. We have an escape route. That is through prayer. And faith. I was telling Carolyn about. I know some of you have wondered, you know, about uh, uh, the stroke that I had. And, uh, of course, you never, you always think things like that aren't going to happen. You're not going to have a heart attack. You're not going to have a stroke. You're not going to get sick. But then comes that day when, you know, reality uh, does uh, uh, come to you. On that day... It was very hot, you know, that week was a 100 or so degrees, and I went out to work in the middle of the football field. Some thought I was going, uh, went uh, out to my cropland or whatever, and I don't have any, but went out to work in the middle of the football field, and uh, the heat was getting to me, and I was beginning to get thirsty. I only had one drink that whole day. It was a Gatorade, and I thought, well, I'll get some water, because I was starting to feel weak, and... Uh, couldn't find any water the, the stadium uh, places were co- uh, closed and so I went across uh, the highway to, uh, to the uh, convenience store and got a gallon of cold water and in the process uh, I was feeling weak and uh, I, uh, I bumped into a pole and knocked my glasses off and I felt like you know things are really getting kind of uh, scary. And so, <clears throat> I got the water, set in the Jeep for about 45 minutes, poured cold water on my head and the back of my neck. Well, I should, you know, if it's, if it's just the heat, I'll be okay, but I wasn't getting okay. So, I went back to the football field to gather up some of the tools that I had and decided I'm going to go and drive back to Coweta, because this was in Eufala, and uh, as a... Uh, as I went out the gate, I, you know, uh, really concentrated on my driving, had to make some little dog legs and go through the fence, and, uh, and then go through the neighborhood, and uh, feeling all the time uh, weary. And so when uh, I got back on the highway, you follow the Chicola is 13 miles, and I drove. And my Jeep is w- one of those where if you drive at a certain speed, like over 20 miles an hour. But I usually drive it around 60, around 50. If I go any higher, you know, the Jeep just says, hey, cut it out. <laughs> but I would look down at the, the uh, speedometer and I would see 75. But I was holding to the road, praying in my mind, let me get there. When I got there, I stopped at the uh, uh, service station because I, was, I, couldn't, I didn't have enough gas to make it back to Kuwaita. So when I stopped by the pump, it's like all of a sudden, everything around me just seemed surreal. I didn't know what to do next. And... The motor was still running. I had put it into gear. But I forgot, what do I do next? I just lost all sense of where I was and what I should be doing. And I knew that I just couldn't remember if you ever, well, what am I here for? I would look to my right, grabbing over something, but there was nothing there. I was trying to grab something. Maybe something will wake me up. So, uh, you know, God help me. Eventually, it came to me, put the car back in gear. And I made up my mind to go to this vacant uh, restaurant lot. And I parked there. Turned off the engine. And and then, in relation to what we were reading here (coughs) about the uh, escape route. So I parked there. And I said... uh, got the phone and I was able to find the number turn it on and got hold of Carolyn and uh, when she answered I said Carolyn I need your help and she knew something was you know strangely wrong with me and uh, I tried to describe where I was and I saw this flying Jay across across the uh, highway and then my daughter called, she's a nurse and she ran me through all these things, uh, you know curl your tongue and smile and stuff like that and she said uh, you should call 911 and I said I don't think I can. And so she managed to call from Glenpool uh, to uh, Shakota, and got hold of a worker there at Flying J. And he called the ambulance. And they thought I was over there at the Flying J. And so I don't know how much time had passed. But I was sitting there. It was, uh, night had come. But I heard the siren and it woke me up. Because I had been in and out. And I saw the ambulance coming way down the highway. I heard it coming, but it went over across the street. And I thought, wow, it must be somebody else over there. And I, my head just went down and, you know, if, uh, you know, blacking out like that is like, I thought, well, you know, if that's the way death is, you know, it's, you don't really feel it. You don't really sense it. But anyway, I was in that twilight zone. And the next thing I know, there was a knock on, on the window. And I rolled it down. Well, it's half open because I was trying to get some air. And uh, I heard the man say, are you the person that needed help? <laughs> and I, about all I said was yes. Next thing I know, in and out putting me on the gurney, putting me in the ambulance, just little bits and pieces. And we managed to, uh, I mani- uh, they took me to uh, emergency in Muskogee Hospital. And now Carolyn can fill you in with the rest of it because I was really out of it. I didn't know anything. And <coughs> next thing I know, I'm in a helicopter, flying over, looking down on city lights. And as I was coming, uh, as I was there in, in, in the helicopter, I began to sing songs. I don't know why. Uh, I remember back down in Big Sandy, I <laughs> I'm kind of prone to accidents, I guess, but I hit my head against the wall uh, in a racquetball, and I was knocked out for a while. And when uh, Mr. Ames came to anoint me, I was there on the floor, and uh, and my uh, fellow worker there said, said, you were singing. You were singing Elvis Presley songs. <laughs> and I was uh, later on in Dr. Parrish's office. Carolyn came. I woke up, and she and, and Brian, he was little, was in her arms. And she was looking down at me. And... Um, After a while, I kept asking, well, what time is it? What time is it? And so anyway, back to the story. Singing those songs, I began to realize my senses were coming back. And, of course, you know, uh, in the hospital there, uh, they were afraid that I might not be able to move. What extent did the stroke do? And... uh, When you call 911, you have faith that it's going to come. You know it's there to answer whatever emergency that you might have. In the same way, prayer is like that. If you pray and and do not doubt. I remember when uh, uh, I felt that power of prayer uh, when Ken and Linda came up. And uh, we held hands and Carol... And uh, they prayed. And it was at that point too. That I felt energized. And whether I got well or not. I was not going to worry about it. And so whenever uh, you have an emergency. Or you have something going wrong in your life. Call 911. Not here on earth. But in heaven, and it will come. It will come. And I ha- went to a funeral uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe just last week. <laughs> my mem- for some reason my <laughs> memory. <laughs> but it was. I went to a funeral of uh, one of the old friends I had back in back in the day, and the uh, preacher was talking about how this friend, his name is Jeremiah, how he was in Korea, and he was probably about, he was 85 compared to my, he's about 15 years older than I, and uh, uh, he said that Jeremiah had told him that while he was in Korea, you know, when you're in in those kind of surroundings, that, uh, you know, you've got the enemy, You don't know where or when uh, it's going to be real testy. But uh, he said that Jeremiah told him that he got this feeling that someone someone was praying for him. So the power of prayer is something that we should not have doubt in. Something that we should you know, cling to because that's our connection. So, there's an escape route. And that first escape route is the power of prayer. It may not always, you know, come out the way you want it to. But at least you put your faith in the prayer. And God sees that. So, there is prayer and purpose and refining to the trials that we have and that is to have faith and not doubt. In Psalm 34:17 it says that the righteous cry and the Lord hears. Do we doubt that or do we have faith in it? The righteous cry and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. So there are reasons behind every trial. And the outcomes are worth more than gold it says. Romans 5.3 tells us that tribulation works patience. You know you have to wait sometimes. Like waiting on uh, 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 hospital care and things of that sort. But then at the end we, look, we can look back and we can say where it says in Psalm 66.10. For you O God have proved us. You have tried us as silver is tried. So trials prove us, and they refine us. In the refining of silver, you know it's first dug from the earth. There are other minerals or other things that are in it. It's found mixed along with other earthly material and compounds. That slag then has to be separated, and that is through great heat. You know, sometimes through you know a real fiery furnace. And it's a step-by-step process that takes time and the know-how to extract the silver, pure silver. So we trust God to do all that. And he takes that trial in order to make us more precious. And it's that trial of faith. So in another vein, we see where the Apostle Peter said that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor at the glory at the the appearing of Jesus Christ we can read of the trial of Job and we see in verse 6 there was a day when the sons of God that is you know the angels they came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them and the Lord said to Satan, whence comest thou? Why are you here? Where did you come from? Satan answered, the Lord said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So this evil being was doing his thing like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Because we know that Satan is an accuser. And he came with a charge and he, for he found righteous Job. As you might find any Christian who is really doing their best to obey the word of God. He found Job a, just a tough nut to crack. So the Lord said unto Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth and a perfect and an upright man. One that fears God and eschews evil. In a way that's what we're doing to the best of our ability. With the help of the spirit of God. So Satan answered the Lord. He said, does Job fear God for nothing? Why should he not respect you? Because you give him everything he has. You set a hedge around him. and his house. On every side. You bless the work of his hands. And his substance is increased in the land. But if you take all that stuff away, he'll curse you. The Lord said unto Satan, behold all that he has. Is in your hands. It's in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. And so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And God allowed the trial to come upon Job. But he had also set boundaries that Satan could not cross. So we see that even in the trial. God is in charge. That he is there. And that there is a purpose. And we may not see it when it happens. That there is a purpose. And that God was aware and is aware over all that took place. And just like in our lives, whatever we might be suffering from, God is aware. So we know that God would not have put upon him something he couldn't bear. Because he knew Job inside and out. And he would not let him be tried more than what he was able to bear. So Satan went ruthlessly to work. Job was very wealthy he had a lot of cattle he was a rich cattleman lots of livestock stock—eleven 11,000 head I think and he had many servants seven sons three daughters and then we know about the bad news that came when the herds were driven off and the, the farm hands were all killed and then on top of that there was more bad news the camels were killed with more servants along with that then on top of that the house where his daughters and sons were feasting probably. There was a mighty wind that blew the roof down upon them. So Job suffered a lot of stuff. So Job arose. He rent his mantle. And you know what about us. You know, We may not rent our mantle. But we may go off in the corner and just clench our fists. And wonder why me. And he shaved his head to show his his. his uh, not only his fear, perhaps a little bit of doubt, perhaps a little bit of, uh, uh, of wonder why everything was happening. He fell upon the ground, still he worshipped. He said in verse 21, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job didn't sin he didn't charge God foolishly and so Satan came again unto God and so skin for skin you know if you just do something to his body make him physically suffer then he'll curse you so there was another test put upon uh, on Job but you know it's a deep story now it was a refining process in which you know, Job had discovered some self-righteousness. That he should not have had. Had to be drawn out. Because we must not think ourselves greater than God. And in our own integrity. Wisdom. Or strength. Eventually Job said in, verse, in chapter 30 and verse 19. He said. He has cast me into the mire. And I am become like dust and ashes. And in Job 42.6. He said wherefore I abhor myself. And repent in dust and ashes. So Job overcame the power. Of those evil forces. And he overcame the enemy of faith. That of doubt and that of weakness. And he did it through the power. Of the Holy Spirit. And the Father watching over him. Zechariah 4, 6 tells us how the uh, angel answered. He said, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. In the book of James, which was referenced earlier. It says. Behold we count them happy. Which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. James uh, James is telling about the patience of Job. And that's. When you're going through a trial. It does take patience. Might last a long time. As though there might not be an end. And have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is a very. Pitiful. And of tender mercy. I'm not going to be able to finish the rest uh, of this but uh, maybe some other time so just to conclude with this that we must be strong in in the word of the Lord and like Sean referenced to put on the whole armor of God so we fight a spiritual battle Proverbs says that two is better than one you know physically we have mates we have maybe a close friend uh, to share trials with we have a church body to share trials with and you no know, prayer and concern and things of that sort but we are never alone never alone and as jesus said take my yoke upon you for it's light cast all your care upon me and that he says lo i am with you always even unto the end of the age